And yeah, that's when I noticed he, the suspect pulled the gun and that's when he shot. That's the last thing I really remember happening. The next thing I know, I'm waking up and I'm staring straight up at the ceiling. And so I'm just looking around, I'm looking for Santander because I have no idea where he's at. I still say I saw the bottom of his feet and like if he's moving, so I keep calling to him like, Santander, like say something, like, are you good? Like, just say something, bro, like, tell me something. That's what I was scared for, too, because it really was the first time she had seen herself in a mirror. So I was scared that she was going to freak out or just not recognize the person staring back at her. I, I had never seen her like that. I mean, no one expects to go through that and see their loved one completely broken down, having to almost relearn everything. So it was, it was an experience being there in the hospital with her and, and watching her kind of progress through everything. Just don't give up. Life can throw so many things at you. Just don't give up. Like shoot, I got shot twice in the face. But like I said about Santander, his God wanted him back home. And he told me, no, 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 you're not done with your assignment yet. You still gotta do your assignment, kiddo. Not yet. So just don't give up. You guys got this. You're listening to the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast, brought to you by the Assist the Officer Foundation. Since 1999, the ATO has given assistance to the first responder community, and now we want to give them a platform to hear their incredible stories. We also want to hear the stories of the many people that support us. Our community is small, but it is strong. We have differences. We don't always agree and we all make mistakes. But together we can grow, we can heal. And we can learn from those mistakes. And together we can bridge the divide. Welcome back, ATO listeners. Thank you for your incredible loyalty and support. We have a special guest host with us today, Detective Angela Elizabeth Arredondo. She's a 24-year veteran with DPD and an ATO board member. She played a very critical role in the incident you will listen to today as the lead detective in the Special Investigations Unit. Thank you, Angela, for joining us at the microphones. Thank you for having me. Today is about partnership. If you are lucky enough to have experienced a remarkable partner in policing, it is a very special connection. If not, you have definitely have witnessed it at your station. We can all name an iconic partnership in our career. And of course, television has captured many police partners. I believe End of Watch framed policing partnership beautifully. Our guest today relished a true partnership at Northeast with her classmate and best friend, Rogelio Santander, no matter how brief. She came to Dallas from a humble upbringing of selfless service parents in El Paso. 
She started her career in the prison system, working for the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Dallas was fortunate to hire her in 2014. Her first assignment was Southwest Patrol, and then she transitioned to Northeast, where she was reunited with her classmate, Rogelio. Please welcome the bravest of souls, a Medal of Valor, Police Shield, Blake Anderson Public Service Award recipient, Star of Texas, and Theodore Roosevelt Award winner, and the Adaptive Training Foundation Athlete of 2019. Under this chest full of medals is badge number 10932 and an enormous courageous heart of service. She dauntlessly bolsters the memory of badge 10934. Her determination will ignite your conqueror spirit. Their partnership will clinch your grasp on divine connection. She is here with her wife, Samantha Bacara, who she married in 2020, to tell her multifaceted story of genuine partnership. She is now an intelligence officer in the gang unit. Welcome to the mic, Crystal Almeida and Samantha. Hi, thank you guys for having us. Thank you so much for coming. Say hello, Sam. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, Crystal, you grew up in El Paso, right? Darn right I did. All right, tell us about your parents. <laughs> uh, my parents, my mom was, uh, she was working with the schools, so she was like a little security, like the lady in the streets dividing traffic whenever school let out. She did that for a while, and my dad's a mechanic, a diesel mechanic, that he works pretty much all over the streets of El Paso. If the truck's broken down, he'll get a call, and he'll head out there for you guys. Wow. So, yeah. so did you guys speak Spanish at home? Kind of, sort of, not really. Okay. <laughs> with my so grandparents. Was it, was it a combo? Yeah, it was a combo, mostly with my um, grandparents. We spoke Spanish, but yeah. How would you say your parents influenced you? Um, helping people, for sure. Most definitely. And then being so brave. My mom was the oldest of her family, so she had. She always said she has a responsibility to take care of the whole family and to step up as mom. And um, just with that and she, the way she taught me, she's like, hey, like, don't, come on, pep up. Like, let's go. Don't put yourself down. Like, just keep going. No matter if you're having a good day or a bad day, just let's go. Don't give up. Don't quit. Mm, yeah, that's very cool. Mm-hmm. So at a young age, you hired on with the prison system. I did. <laughs> okay, so tell us what you did. I was a corrections officer. So um, hi to all the correction guys. You guys do an amazing job. You don't go unnoticed, <laughs> let me tell you. Um, but I was in a Lionel unit with TDCJ. I was there for two years. So basically walking all the hallways, doing count times, um, putting people out for mealtime, uh, giving them medicines, taking out their mail, just pretty much taking care of that community. Was it ever scary? Oh, yeah. It was in an all-men's facility, so there was not that many of us women there. So when we were there, they would not come after us, but it'd be very, like, scary, especially when you have, like, guys like 6'5", sure. all built. And some girls were even tinier than I was. So, And how old scary. were you? I was 21, I believe. Wow. You have yeah. a story? You have a story that sticks in your mind from being in the prison system? Oh, I have quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, every morning we had breakfast, and there is an inmate there. Um, he was a really super nice guy. Um, I want to say he was probably in the military, so you have to walk in between lines. 
to walk to the cafeteria. But sometimes they have to go get their meds afterwards. So this gentleman had so many medicines. He's like, taste the rainbow. Because his pills were all just different colors. <laughs> and he would just take it in one big gulp. And he's like, oh, that was awful. But he would always say, taste the rainbow and do like a cheers. And then just take it back. <laughs> wow. He was the nicest guy ever. But it was just pretty hilarious. It's funny that you have a good story to tell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't expect that. That, yeah. that really shows her character. She <laughs> has a, a good outlook on life. Yeah. A positive story. Mm-hmm. So did your cousins, Monica and Josh, influence you to be police here in Dallas? Yeah. I mean, they were already here, so I was like, might as well go where my cousins are at. So it's kind of good to get out El Paso, too. El Paso's tiny, so it was nice to get out. Why Dallas police? Because it's Dallas. <laughs> like, it's just a big city. Like, it's, like, nothing compared to El Paso. It's just, like, tall skyscrapers everywhere. And it's just totally different from the desert. Yeah? Yeah. Is the weather better? Mm, it's <laughs> iffy. Not as many sandstorms, I can tell you that. But it's a little bit nicer here than over there. Okay. Shout out to Monica Almeida on the mayor's detail. <laughs> Okay, so tell us about your academy experience and meeting uh, Rogelio. Academy, we were like the smallest class that they had. I think we only had like 20 people in our class. And um, Mm, that is small. It it was me, Santander, and our good friend Cameron. He works at Central. Um, And we always just stuck together. Like, you know how afterwards you have to do like a like fill out a little booklet with all the workouts you do for the week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would always like, we'd always say like, hey, like, come on, you guys, let's stay. And we're like, okay. So like they would make up some workouts and then sometimes I would make mine and we all do it all together. And they're like, damn, Omela, what the hell are you doing? Like, these are hard ass <laughs> workouts. And I'm like, hey, you got to keep up, bro. You got to keep up. <laughs> but like, we always had like that good, like friend and partners kind of feel all the time. And like sometimes... Uh, we would always just hang out like after the academy so like even like when we're just hanging on the weekends stuff like that we were just always really cool and we always had each other's back like especially in dt oh i loved it because i was just to whoop on them all the time and they'd be like damn like hold on like you're going like too hard like calm down i'm like no i'm not gonna calm down we have to go all out so yeah for our listeners out there dt is defensive tactics yeah defensive tactics (laughs) sorry yeah so then after the academy, you went to Southwest. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, Southwest. What would you like about Southwest? Oh, I loved everything about Southwest. If I could, I'd probably want to go back. <laughs> yeah? Was it busy? Oh, yeah. I was totally busy. And it's more criminal than civil. Because, like, up there in Northeast, it's just, like, you have people are always just arguing. And it's just, like, well, um, like, it was just family violence, and then people would, like, just go, like, unless, like, Southwest, it was, like, people stole cars, but you'd be on car chases all the time, you'd be on your, you'd be on the ground, like, pretty much every single day, and I worked deep nights, so, like, people would always go crazy on deep nights, and I got in so many foot chases over there in Southwest, and hardly got any at Northeast, but it did, was a lot of did fun. Did those workouts from the Academy pay off? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely they did. It was a lot of fun. Was uh, was training a good experience in your field training, your field training officers? Oh, yeah. I had a heck of field training officers. Beasley was one. Uh-huh. I kid, so the first day, you know how you can get out of the academy and you have to go to the quartermaster <laughs> to go get, like, the rest of your gear? Sure. So Beasley had me and three other girls that went to Southwest, 
and we were heading back he was like okay like we're gonna go back to the station and you guys can just leave so we're on our way and all of a sudden like a call comes out saying i forgot what kind of call it was but i think they had stolen a car and it was like into an investigation or something along those lines so beasley he legit took all of us so there was two of us in the back of the car and sometimes you know the lock doesn't open sure the kid locks yeah the kid locks the child (laughs) safety locks so like he legit pulled up to the scene where the car was and people just started taking off running and beasley like just left us in the car and we're like we're trying to open the door like let us out let us out (laughs) and then all of a sudden like we start doing like our training like a felony traffic stop and like so we get like all the people inside like the suv they start coming out and then all of a sudden more people from southwest showing up and there goes beasley he's coming back with the suspect in hand and we're like damn like we're not even on the first day this is just like general like we're going to the quartermaster (laughs) so beasley was really cool uh wilkerson was super awesome I think he's at Northwest now. And then Sullivan, he was also a really, really good trainer. Crystal, what's a funny police call you remember? Something silly at Southwest? Uh, something silly. Well, what comes to mind probably happens to a lot of like female officers on the streets. When we get a call, sometimes we get flirted with with guys. <laughs> so we got called. It was I was working deep nights, and we got a loud music call to like a Mexican party. So we go, and the music's jamming and stuff. So... Me and my partner, Tillery, we walk to the back and we try to go tell him like, hey, like you guys like just lower the music. So we talked to the lady, the mom in charge of the house. And she was like, she's like, oh, okay, 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 Miha, like we'll, we'll lower it down. And then a whole bunch of guys just come up to us and uh, they tell me like, hey, like you're super cute. Like you shouldn't be a police officer. Like why are you a police officer? And I was like, what? <laughs> so like he keeps like just saying stuff. and I'm just like, whatever. So finally I'm like, you know what? My girlfriend would not appreciate it. Oh, and everyone goes quiet and they go, damn, all the, all the family behind them just starts laughing. And then that's when we walk off. And I was like, yeah, just walking off. But yeah, that was pretty funny. So did you go to Northeast on a bid? Yes, I did. Okay. And so tell me about going to Northeast. Was, there, was that a, a culture shock? Yeah, most definitely. Why? Because some calls, people spoke Vietnamese, French. <laughs> Um, my Spanish got worse at Northeast because a lot of people really don't speak that much Spanish up there compared to Southwest. I think my Spanish was like 20 times better in sure. Southwest because everyone is Hispanic down South. Um, but yeah, it was a total culture shock and Santander, he's used to being there because that's where he went like straight out of the academy. So he was like showing me like the roads. And the one thing I didn't like about Northeast is like the streets don't go like Northeast Oh, yes. South or north and south. Yeah, north and south, like they do down in southwest. So it's like you have to go like diagonal. It's like, wait, where am I? Like, I don't even know where the heck I'm going when you call things out. So it's just really weird. What about the apartment complexes? Oh, those are (laughs) those are brutal. You always have to look for the right apartment. And yeah, it was the numbers on there. are Ridiculous. Yeah, it was it was interesting. Okay, so when you went to Northeast, did you immediately partner with Rogelio? Mm-hmm. Like, he was with me because he's 3-4, I'm 3-2. So, like, my bid and then his bid's, like, right after mine. Sure. So I lived in that area a little bit. So I just went to the Northeast station to do the bid super quick. And he he was there, too. So he was like, "Are you where are you going to go? He's <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't know. He's like, where are the good spots? And he's like, 
up here in northeast is pretty good i was like hmm never wore third watch and i was like okay maybe i'll come to third watch to hang out answer calls with you so you guys were pretty rookie then right yeah two rookies riding together Uh was it fun oh yeah we had our good days (laughs) okay so tell us something tell us something funny um gosh there's so many things like the conversation just was conversation it was just like just like with a friend like in the car we're like totally cool like oh what do you like what do you want to eat and he's like i don't know like basically he was my work (laughs) husband and i was his work wife in a sense like that (laughs) if you think about it that way i was always with him all the time i kind of basically knew what he liked to eat what he didn't like to eat um just stuff i don't know how to explain it but just he was we just knew each other like legit it was really cool okay so if you guys are on a call who's the one that's gonna stir some shit up Santander. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have to calm things down? Every once in a while, yeah. Okay, so who was the best driver? Santander. Did he drive all the time? (laughs) No, so we actually split it. So one week I would drive, one week he would drive. Okay. So we had that rotation going on. So we liked it that way. But yeah, majority of the time I would write all the reports. He would just drive. And like, like, I like reports. I like writing reports. I don't mind them. But he's like, oh, there's a car chase. Oh, there's a, there's a <laughs> active shooter somewhere. We're going to that call. And I'm like, what? Okay. Okay. Just go. Just go. I'll, we got it. We'll go and do it. So he was always like too ready to go run, do something. He was very proactive about it. Besides April 24th, we'll get in that in a minute. But can mm-hmm. you remember a call that sticks out? Or something that, like a foot chase or something that with him that sticks out that is in your memory that, <laughs> oh, so you're laughing, you're smiling, yeah. so there must be one. Yeah, there is. Uh, I think it was off of Park Lane with all those <laughs> apartments over there. So we get a call about uh, family violence. Some guy was knocking on the door. I think baby daddy was knocking on the door really loud. And the wife called. She's like, hey. He's not allowed to come here, this and that. So we go and we see him, the, the suspect, like in the, like in that breezeway. little. Breezeway. Yeah, the breezeway. Yeah. And so we're like, hey, get over here. And he takes off running. Like he's wearing the clothes, everything that was described on the call sheet. He's wearing everything. And then there we go. We're like, hey, get your ass over here. <laughs> and so like he takes off running. And then there goes Santander. He's the fastest between us, obviously. But yeah, he takes off. And then he circles, the suspect circles around, and I think another element was on our call, but we didn't know it. So we go, and patrol car comes riding through, and the suspect legit runs in front of the squad car, and then there goes Santander right behind him, but I guess the car didn't stop, and then, so I'm behind him running. And the car kind of hit him, but Santander did the really cool thing, like, sliding. But I went, ooh. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, he's good. And so we just keep running. And then I hop one fence. And then the suspect jumps, like, the fence to go to the pools. And he drops his backpack. So then we're still running. We're still running. And I see the backpack, and I tell the kids, don't grab that backpack. And we still keep running. We still keep <laughs> running. And then there's that eight-foot fence, like, right on park. And he, the suspect hopped over it. But we didn't get him. So then I was like, are you okay, dude? He's like, yeah, I'm fine. I was like, dude, that was badass that you totally just slid on the car. Did he slide on the hood like Duke's yeah. Hazard? Okay. Yeah, he totally slid on like the hood of the car. It was awesome. 
but yeah we got we got the backpack and it was like a bunch of dope in there and i was like yes what kind of dope was in there i think it was like coke and weed so it was like pretty sweet suspect got away but we got the junk so it was pretty cool (laughs) yeah that's the funniest one yeah and then i was like "Ooh!" and the squad (laughs) cars like didn't stop so we're like what the heck and so we just kept running but yeah that's the funniest one i think um for the listeners out there there's full conversations that happen on foot chases Mm -hmm. i guess if you're in good enough shape (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay so take us to april 24 2018 Mm -hmm. um you tell us your story from the start of your shift Okay, um, so it was our Friday, so it was a Tuesday? Yeah, it was a Tuesday, and it was three o'clock, we were early detail, and, uh, I've been, I kind of forgot how everything kind of went, but with being so long, I've heard people say different things, that they're they're pretty much filling in the blank, so I had totally forgotten we were on special assignment that day, to be at five points over there. Where's Five Points at? Park and mm, Park Lane and they call it Five Points because five streets actually come together. Yeah, like at Greenville, one point, Park yeah. Lane area. Yeah, it's in Northeast Dallas. So we were on special assignment there, um, and I was just in the computer. Santana was driving. I was doing the reports like I usually do. It was his week to drive, so. Uh, I get in the car, I try logging into the MDC, but it was just like super duper slow. The computer was like super slow. Like it wouldn't, nothing would pop up. Like not even the call sheet. You know how you have to log into the call sheet or on CAD, Mm -hmm. sign in. It wouldn't pop up. So it was kind of weird. I was like, hmm, maybe it's just like a glitchy day or something. It's just really slow. And in the meantime, uh, I guess somebody had come into the substation to turn in a gun that they found and they all all they spoke spanish okay. and santander speaks all the spanish you can think of so he they asked like hey like can you come and translate so santander went to go and translate and uh i still waited in the car nothing was popping up on the computer still so i was like hmm like what the heck is going on here and i waited like in the car for like maybe five couple like a, it was seemed like a really long time so i was like hmm, let me go check on santander to see if he needs anything and uh no he was pretty much all done he didn't need any paperwork and finally the cad sheet pops up and it showed that we were clear so we were like okay like we're gonna be put us on a special assignment and then all of a sudden the call off-duty officer comes up and we're like what the heck? Like, why did we get this call? Like, it didn't make any sense. And so I tell dispatch, like, hey, we're on special assignment. And they're like, no, you guys are the only two-man team that you have in Northeast. And the call's been holding for, it was like maybe three, four hours. It'd been holding for a good while. Oh, wow. So they told us. So we just kept, I kept telling dispatch, like, no, like, we're on special (laughs) assignment. And they were just like, no, like, you have to go to this call. So we're like, okay, you know what? We're just going to transport. We don't even know if he needs anything. There was nothing on the call sheet at all. It just said off-duty officer. That's okay. it. Okay, so you were dispatched to Home Depot uh-huh. at 11600 Forest Central Drive. Is that right? I believe so. And so the off-duty officer working there on a part-time job had mm-hmm. detained somebody? 
or arrested somebody or did you, you didn't even know no we had no idea it was pitch blank okay so you're, go, you're you're just going to this what what kind of call did you think it was we just thought that maybe he just needed like paperwork because like for okay. criminal trespass you need to fill out that paperwork sure. for the affidavit or whatever he maybe he needs to type up a report um but yeah we just went we didn't know what the heck was gonna happen and then we we i think got more than halfway uh a name popped up on the call sheet okay and i looked him up on ais just to see like what he's been dealt with what Mm -hmm. he's been arrested for if anything or if he's even been to loose there and uh sure enough uh it came up and it said that it had he had a warrant i don't remember what the warrant was for but uh, like on the cad nothing because usually you know when you run somebody and they have a warrant it pops up on the computer mm-hmm. nothing popped up so it was just on ais so i thought that was a little strange so we finally get there we park in the front and uh we walk all the way when we walk in people were like hey like they're in the back we're like okay so we get all the way to the back um and then there's like the back hallway i guess where the office is at there was quite a few people there but we didn't know what the heck was going on so you guys went to the loss prevention office back there Mm -hmm. is that what and have you answered calls like this before like at walmart but i'm used to them being like in the front okay or like maybe like tj maxx like where they're kind of in the back ish but you've never answered at one at home depot before Mm -mm. okay not at all and so we go back there and the off-duty officer meets us like in the hallway and we're like hey what's up I don't really remember if what he said to us or anything but he was like uh do y'all have the keys to the car and we're like yeah why like why do you need the keys to the car he's like oh I'm gonna go check I'm like well he has a warrant on AIS that's the only thing that's coming up and he's like okay so Santander was driving so Santander gave him the keys and then he left to the car so I was there on the door frame of the office. Describe the office to us. Like, how big is it? Oh, it's tiny. Um, pretty much. I don't know how to describe it with okay. words. Okay, say like eight by eight. It was small, eight feet by eight feet, maybe ten feet by ten feet. It was pretty much a square. It was small. Okay. Very and close quarters. Was mm-hmm. the, the guy that you ran the name, was he in there? Yeah, from the picture that I saw on okay. AIS, yeah. But he wasn't in handcuffs. Like, he was just sitting in the left corner. And you still are in the dark. You have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Is that have, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. And we have no idea. And the guy's just there in the left corner. I could see his hands. His hands were on his lap. He was just, like, shaking his feet a little bit. But, I mean, when I've noticed when people are around police officers, they get a little nervous. Sure. So, that's what I thought. Yeah, I was like, he's just a little nervous, which is fine, but we still have no idea what's going on. And then uh, Painter, he was writing... Painter, it, that's the loss prevention officer, correct? Yeah, the correct? loss okay. prevention right. guy. He was doing, like, some paperwork, and uh, I just... And Santander was talking to somebody in the hallway. I guess another loss prevention guy? I'm not sure. Security uh, guard. Yeah. Uh but yeah, we were just waiting there for, it seemed like a good while. It seemed like it took forever. And uh, finally, a Painter got a phone call, I guess, from the off-duty guy. And Painter stood up, and he's like, okay, like, we're good to go. And uh, that's when 
the suspect got up, pulled the gun out of his right pocket, and shot at me. And we were, I was walking, sorry, I went ahead. That's okay. I was walking, like, in when Painter got up, because I kind of had a feeling, like, okay, like, it's, something's going to happen, like, what's going to, are we going to arrest him, are we not? Sure. What's going to happen? So, I pretty much meet Painter, like, halfway into the door-ish, and yeah, that's when I noticed he, the suspect pulled the gun from his right pant pocket, short pocket. And that's when he shot me, and I moved to the, I leaned forward to the right. So, like, like, I don't know how to explain it, like, just leaning. You ducked. I ducked. Mm -hmm. And that's the last thing I really remember happening. The next thing I know, I'm waking up, and I'm staring straight up at the ceiling, and I just feel like a really bad burn on my face. So I'm like, what the hell is going on? And so I look to the side. I'm looking for my radio. But it seems that Painter had got it. I don't know how the heck he got it, but he got it. Was Painter hit too? Yeah. Painter was shot uh, three times, I believe. I think so. And uh, yeah. And Painter was calling. He was like, officers shot, officers hit. And so I'm just looking around. I'm looking for Santander because I have no idea where he's at. And I look back, and I I still say I saw the bottom of his feet. And, like, if he's moving, so I keep calling to him, like, Santander, like, say something. Like, are you good? Like, just say something, bro. Like, tell me something. And, yeah. Next thing you know, I keep going in and out. So I see some officers coming in, like, the off-duty he showed up and he was like, what the fuck? Like, he was just, like, super shocked with everything that was going on. And then I knocked back out. And then one of a co-worker of ours from Northeast, I remember he showed up also and he was kind of frightened too. And he was just running back and forth. He was just saying, like, oh, my God, like, what's going on? Like, what the fuck is going on? And next thing you know, ambulance is pushing me to my side and rolling me on the carrying cart to get out. The stretcher? Mm-hmm. And then they put me in the back of the ambulance, and I feel my phone going off, so I reach for my pocket that's on the on my front pocket, and I see it's Moni, Monica. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hello? She's like, are you okay? Are you all right? I'm like, Moni, I've been shot. Like, I'm hit. I'm hit. And she's like, what do you mean? Like, what? She starts freaking out. And then that's when the ambulance guy's like, no, no, no. Give me the phone. We got to put IVs on you. Like, give me the phone. And that's legit the last thing. Did you know where you were hit? Mm -mm. I mean, I touched my face and I saw blood. But I didn't know exactly where I was hit. We're going to play the the police radio traffic from this incident. X-ray 10350. 10350, go ahead. Can you confirm that, though? DSO warrant that is going to be the guy. 10 4. Uh, where I'm going. Go, go, go. 
I need to stay off my radio and go start DFR that way. Stay off my radio, just go. 11682 Forest Central Drive, officer down. Shots fired, we're in the back of the Home Depot. Back of the. Back. Of the Home Depot, 11682 Forest Central Drive. Are you inside or in the back? 16 mile, where are you? 0412. The 4 in your box, hit that way, code 3. Ambulance, we also got an LP shot. He's on, heading towards Forest Lane. In the field. For suspect vehicle towards Forest Lane, what's the description of the vehicle? Look at him, he's on his foot. He's a Hispanic man, a white t shirt. That's going to be the guy that's on my warrant. For on foot on Forest Drive, Latin male, white t shirt. I'm going to help people around you. Get in this way. Get to the back of Home Depot. We got two officers down. Receive. Officers down. Officers down. Or heading that way behind the Home Depot. Three behind the Home Depot. Officers down, guys. Come on, get get out of here. So, Detective Arredondo, what was your response and your role once all this went down? Um, I was a detective at the time in Special Investigations Unit, and um, we rotate these kind of cases when officers are involved in shootings, and um, it was my turn to be up. So I drew this case, and I had just been to my husband's um, promotional ceremony. A bunch of guys got promoted that day. We were all out celebrating um, at dinner, an early dinner. And his phone actually rang first, and he told me, you're going to have to go into work. And I was like, oh, no. But, you know, going over there and listening to the radio traffic and what everybody was doing and in regards to looking for the suspect, it was clear that it was going to be a very serious incident. Um, but nothing that we do in SIU is by ourselves. We have a team of amazing investigators, and um, we all know our roles, and we all step up and do what we're supposed to do and, and get everything done properly. So I arrived at the location and I was met by <clears throat> Sergeant Merritt at the time was my supervisor. And then my whole team showed up very quickly. Um, Ibarra, Dale Richardson, um, Casey Shelton. Um, and it became clear, especially in the hallway that they were at, it was a bloody, bloody mess. So we have a thing in homicide that we see um, often when we know that someone's probably going to pass away, and it's called head blood. It's very red, rich, deep, rich blood, and it's it's a different, darker color than normal blood when you cut your finger. And um, so we knew that probably Santander maybe wasn't going to make it. The hospital was already, you know, replying to us that it was very, he was very low sick at the time. Um, we quickly had to work on the suspect and the suspect vehicle, which the video of the Home Depot came into play at that point. Um, we had our video FBI video forensics um, officer come to the scene and try to do what she could to get some kind of a suspect vehicle description because we didn't know um, if he left on foot. Originally, we thought he left on foot. He did go out the back door. That was the last that Scott Painter knew. 
um, Scott Painter was hit. I could, he was all bloody. Everyone had been transported to the hospital, um, by the time I got there, but from looking at the video of the Home Depot, um, it was a very chaotic scene. When I arrived, there was a bunch of chiefs, bunch of officers, SWAT had arrived. Everyone was just canvassing that entire area for the suspect. We had a team of homicide investigators go to the hospital to check on them primarily. And we had another group of homicide guys witness, um, interviewing every witness. Um, so we had the loss prevention officer, Scott Painter was there at the hospital with them. They all went to Presby. Um, and then we had the security guard who happened to be, who's the guy that was speaking to Santander in the hallway. He was a security guard and he was supposed to be armed, but he wasn't allowed to be armed in, in the Home Depot at that time. They just had a rule that, um, you know, they didn't want a security guard armed. Only the off-duty officer was allowed to be armed. So we transported the officer witnesses that we needed. Hey, when y'all get done looking for the suspect, we need you. Multanovic? I'm so yeah. I'm so bad with how to say his name, um, but Maltanovich and then Ben Civis were two of the very first responding officers that came in and saw them down. Um, Crystal was actually laying on top of Rogelio, so she was in between his legs, and every time she moved, she was probably making his feet move, which now she knows that because I've explained that to her, but she didn't know that at the time. Um, Anyway, all the things that you would think on a normal homicide, you know, we're talking to witnesses, we're pulling video, we're making sure that all the officers who are who are were there and are witnesses go down to headquarters to be interviewed. Um, there was a long time before I was going to be able to speak to Crystal um, or if I was ever going to speak to her. I wasn't sure at that time. We weren't sure what her condition was. Rogelio, we knew pretty early, was grave. Um, and then um, Painter was also questionable at that point. Um, but... I just remember getting all of the information um, and it's so much when it all comes at you at once, but everyone takes their piece and then we all come together and lay everything out. And it's like a well-oiled machine SIU is. It is, everyone does what they're supposed to do. And we all come together and say, okay, I did this. I did that. We have this covered. We have that covered. Suspects being, you know, looked at, we're working on him. Um, We had the U.S. Marshals Task Force looking for the suspect, running down their leads. It was... You know, we all came together as a team and um, made sure that we brought this to a good conclusion for Crystal and for Rogelio, ultimately. Okay, so while this is going on, the entire department is looking for this vehicle that right. you guys got information on, correct? Right. Meantime, she's at the hospital. Right. Correct? Do you remember any of those moments at the hospital? No? Not it's okay. any at all. And then I want to shout out to every responding officer in this department for the capture and arrest of this suspect. Yep, Incredible definitely. brotherhood and professional tactical actions. Yeah. Yeah. Right, back off a bit. Back off a bit. You're okay. Just keep eyes on him. That's all we got to do. Fox reporting that my lead element. Just keep eyes on him. You're doing great. Got it. We got it. We're backing up. Fox reporting. He just took a real evasive maneuver. He took off Main Street, West, and Elm Street exit. I think I lost my first element. And now he's going downtown. 
job okay so now it's evolving we have suspect in custody now the work really starts yeah well even i mean going back to the professionalism that you just spoke about the guys so much restraint was used in taking the suspect down um properly and um without using more deadly force without more life being lost um they did an outstanding job um they recovered the gun they recovered the truck, which happened to be a different truck than he actually left in. He'd swapped out already. You know, he was definitely trying to evade police. Um, they got the female witness that was with him, and she was imperative for the, the case and bringing it all together, exactly what happened and what his intent was and giving us a good idea of, of how everything went down even before they arrived at the Home Depot. Um, so... Those guys getting into a high-speed chase with him, him throwing out a gun, the gun that they find out later will end the life of Rogelio. They just handled it so well. I can't even, like, imagine being in that situation. It's, it, I mean, they know an officer's been shot. They know he's really low sick. Crystal also. And then another third party, totally innocent, you know, civilian, um, and they just were amazing. So luckily everything is on body cam. Everything's on Air One. Air One called the whole thing. They did an amazing job as well. Air One, shout out. I mean, they had a huge part of Absolutely. the arrest of the suspect as well. Um, and then, you know, they all get down there and then there's a whole other crew of officers that we have to interview and get all of their prospect, you know, perspectives on what happened. And, you know, they're just so professional it comes down to, you know, we have the suspect there and now it's time for um, me to interrogate him. Um, I don't think there's anyone else on this department that's ever interrogated a cop killer. 
I think I'm the only one. Norm Smith was killed. Those detectives are gone. So the pressure that it takes to interrogate a cop killer is like (laughs) immense. But it is ultimately just like every other interview. I had to treat it like every other interview. Started with Miranda warning. um, Went through all the normal building rapport questions that you do. And then um, you just go into what happened and hope he talks to you. Because he doesn't have to. Anyway, it went well. It was long. um, But he ultimately confessed to everything that had happened and it made the case for Rogelio and Crystal just so much tighter, um, so much better, so much easier for prosecution, which ended up happening easily. Um, and ultimately the person who did this to them is in prison for the rest of his life. Incredible job. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, this is a tragedy and you're a very seasoned detective at this point. How did it affect you? Um, after this case and my chain of command at the time knows I was done with dead cops, Sure, <laughs> done. I had, um, started SIU in July or in February of 2016. And then everyone with DPD knows that sep- that July 7th happens just a few months later. So I started SIU pretty much with five dead cops and it was the worst time in my career, but I could not have been more honored to um, be a part of that case. And I feel the same way about Rogelio and Crystal. Um, Crystal and I have become very close um, since this and Sam um, as well. They've become part of my family. And that's something that you can't, it's, you know, it's fate sometimes how you, you have friendships and they come, but it's under terrible circumstances, obviously. Um, but this case in particular, even though I'd had other deaths in custody, I had other um, deaths as, you know, an SIU detective, it's just that when an officer is killed, it's the worst. And I tell people all the time that I don't wish that job on my worst enemy because it is literally the hardest job on the department. Um, it's, it's traumatizing. Um, but it's also your honor, like it was truly my honor to work on those cases and I would never um, take it back or I, I would never wish that I hadn't done it. You know, sure. it was definitely hard, but worth it. Sure. Now, Sam, you were with Crystal at the time, right? Yes, I was. Okay. So tell us your, your perspective of that day. So, I mean, I had been with Crystal, Crystal for a while already so I kind of knew her line of work. I knew I was, I know I had known her since the Academy. So I had known her through Southwest and all her crazy chases and going to Northeast and reuniting with um, Rogelio there. So she had told me a bunch of stories before then. So I kind of, I knew what, what was going on or what, how the department worked. I had been with her through 7-7 as well when she was down in Southwest and got to see all of that. And that's when it became a little more real of the real dangers that were out there for them but on that day in particular um we were always texting so she had texted me that she was going to work like normal and um everything was fine I didn't know about anything until my way home from work so I was actually driving in my car on my way home I was actually down the street from my house And I get a call from Crystal's phone 
And so I think, okay, she's calling me because they're on a break or they just got done with something and she's just calling me just to say hi as I go back home from work. But when I answered the call, it was her cousin Crystal, um, Crystal Romero, which is married to, to Josh Romero. Okay. And I, I kind of answer very surprised, like, hi, like, hi, Crystal, like, why are you calling me from my Crystal's phone? And so that's when I started kind of getting a little suspicious just because it was her and not, not my Crystal. And um, she asked me immediately, where are you? And I'm like, I'm driving on my way home from work, like I usually do. And she's like, okay. And she, that's with the little hesitance in her voice kind of started worrying me. So um, she then said, so Crystal's been hurt. And that's when I kind of, even though I'm in my car, I kind of just almost stop a little bit. I don't know what's what's going on. And she tells me that she's she's been hurt pretty bad. She She was shot. And from there, I was kind of in a daze, almost driving home. I kind of almost don't know how I got home because it was just such a big surprise. I didn't think anything like that would happen. So when I get home, I let the dogs out like normal, but I just, I was, I was in a daze. I I couldn't do anything. I just stood there kind of in shock. And, um, I... I was waiting around for a little bit for someone to go pick me up. I believe it was Tina Schultz, if I remember. She went to go pick me up with her partner. And um, they picked me up from our from our house and drove me all the way down to Presbyterian. And I, I was so in shock, I didn't pack a bag. I didn't do anything. I just stood around in the kitchen, literally just standing there until they, they went to go pick me up. And... Um, so we drove, we drove down lights and sirens all the way down to, to Presbyterian. And when we get there, I just see officers everywhere. The whole entire hospital was surrounded by officers and, and media as well. And again, I'm still, I'm still kind of in shock going through everyone. And as soon as I see um, Crystal's family, Crystal and, and Josh, I, I just start crying. I just run into their arms and, and start crying because I, none of us know how, how Crystal was doing at the time. And um, not until a little while afterwards did we get to speak to the, the surgeon that was um, taking care of them. And he told us a little bit more about what was going on, what her injuries were. Um, and then... What did he tell you? He told, so he told us that she had been shot twice um, in the head. And one of them was bad enough to where it pushed, I believe, a bone into her brain or at least a little fragment of it into her brain. So they had to do life-saving brain surgery. Wow. So that that was the worst of it. Um, they had to stop the bleeding in her brain um, as well. And she had another shot that was just, that one was the, the minor one of the two. Um, it was just a flesh when it kind of had gone in and out and then um, went across her ear a little bit. But he said, or he told us, he kind of assured us that she she was doing okay. Um, but they would, of course, have to monitor her, monitor her um, for the days afterwards. Wow. So, Crystal, you were back in three months. Yeah. After those injuries. Mm-hmm. Tell us about your recovery process in this. I felt like it took forever. <laughs> those three months felt like forever to you. It really did. Can yeah. you just can you describe to us what? What do you mean by forever? Like So, 
I remember one time uh, I was still in the intensive care unit when I went up, when I saw myself in the mirror. Yes. Yeah. You were still in ICU. I was still in ICU and I just had to go to the bathroom. And like, it's a small little room. Like you would think you would have your own little bathroom place, but no, like it was just open. And I was like, goodness gracious, like, why is this so open? People can see me. (laughs) But uh, I remember for sure that one was the first time like I saw myself with the injury. And I mean, I thought I was pretty before. And uh, with this one, they completely shaved all my hair off. They left me with a rat's tail. Legit. I was so pissed. Really? <laughs> yeah. Out of all the hair they left, they left me a rat's tail, but my my cousins got me. They shaved it off. So I was very thankful for that. And she had the longest, most beautiful head of hair. I did. I have it. I, I have it again, thankfully. It yes. took a while. I would find that person that shaved it. Yeah. I would say at least okay. donate it or something. Like, don't let it just go to waste. But uh, So you don't have the rat tail? No. Okay. Not anymore. Just all that right. for that one instance. And I remember seeing it and I told Sam, like, why do I have a rat's tail? Like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I saw my face, I saw myself in the mirror, and I was just, I just needed to go pee. And so I was like, hmm. And they were all, like, scared, like, holy crap, like, she's going to freak out. Like, if she's, because she probably won't recognize herself with everything that's happened. Like, this is the first time I wake up in a while. And uh, they were just super scared for me. And she told me this after, and I was like, no, I just saw myself in the mirror and just went back to bed. Nothing seemed really different, well, besides my good looks, but... Yeah, and that's that's what I was scared for, too, because that was... It really was the first time she had seen herself in a mirror, so I was scared that she was going to freak out or just not recognize the person staring back at her in the mirror, but she she handled it really well. Was Mm -hmm. it scary for you to see her? It was. I, I had never seen her like that. I mean, no one expects to go through that and see their loved one completely broken down having to almost relearn everything so it was it was an experience being there in the hospital with her and and watching her kind of progress through everything how did it go when she first woke up and of course it's been weeks now her partner has been killed she does not know he's been buried she was not able to attend the police you know ceremony and go to the cemetery or anything, which as his partner would have been, I know probably one of her greatest things to go to. She's missed it all. How was it for you guys to tell her all of these things when she first wakes up? So we actually told her probably three times because she would wake up and she would go back to sleep and almost like it would be wiped clean of everything that she learned during that little time she was awake. So the first time that we did tell her what happened, I believe it was um, the chief at the time um, was there. It was all, there was also um, a few other people. Um, I don't know if they were chiefs. I, I don't remember who all was there, but I know it was a few other officers. And we were all kind of around Crystal and we told her what had happened, that um, Santander had passed and she was crying. I mean, expectingly so um and finally when she kind of calmed down she went to sleep and the next time she woke up um I believe there was another officer in there with her I wasn't with her at the time um but she kept asking about him and asking how he was doing and 
I don't think they knew that whenever she went to sleep, she wouldn't remember what happened. So they ended up having to tell her and same thing again. She was crying and everything and she went back to sleep again. And after that, I, I kind of made the decision like we're, we're just not going to tell her anymore. It's too painful for her to have to relive it every single time. And not until I think it was a week or two later, whenever she was out of ICU and up in a regular room, kind of awaiting um, the next surgery she was going to have, is when she asked me. And by that time, I could tell that she was remembering a little bit more. She was retaining the information. Um, she would she would go through during the day and not um, forget when she went to sleep. So then um, she finally asked me, or she she didn't really ask me if he was okay. She kind of knew at that point, or she had the feeling. So she just kind of looked at me and said, "He's gone, isn't he?" And that's when I told her, "Yes, like he's he's gone." And we just we just kind of sat there and and cried for a while. But mm-hmm. it it was tough. It was really tough. Yeah, I remember he. She would always tell me like, "Oh, like he's in the next room," because I know Painter was there with me, and we had like three rooms next to each other. So, like, sometimes the nurses would want me to go on a walk with, like, the IVs and everything. They just want me to move around and stuff. And uh, I think a few times I'm like, oh, I want to go see Santander. She'd be like, no, like, we just got to keep walking. Like, they they won't allow you to go into the rooms. So I'm like, okay, like, that's understandable. Like, he has to, like, get his rest and he has to heal and stuff. But, uh, yeah, that day that she was talking about, I remember it was a beautiful sunny day and the windows up there on the sixth floor, they were pretty, pretty big windows. And uh, I just looked out in the window. I'm like, he's gone, huh? And she's like, yeah. Okay. Like, All right. At least he's not feeling any pain anymore. He's in a better place. It was his time. We all have our time here on earth. And he did what he, what God wanted him to do. And he was an awesome guy. And unfortunately, he was taken too soon but he was a super awesome guy and I still remember him to this day every single day not a day goes by that I don't think about him what is something special that makes you smile about him (laughs) everything his smile his smile in general I mean you can't say no to his gosh gorgeous smile that he had all the time or like his little smirk because he'd be like super serious and he'd be like I'm just kidding like it's no big deal (laughs) I think we went one time to communications when all the lines went down that one time and we volunteered to go help in communications and take all the callback calls and we took a selfie together and I had the motion on it. He was like legit like super serious and he was like, I'm just kidding. And it's all on that little screenplay. It's really super cool. But uh, it was rough. It still is rough to think about him. Sure. And and you had to fight through recovery. So yeah. how many surgeries did you have, Crystal? Uh, three? I want to say three. The main one was the where they had to use a saw to get through my skull. And then... And then you had um, facial reconstruction surgery. Yep. That was about two or three weeks after the initial incident. And then a third one in december of that year um to help with um oh, my little kind of protecting her temple dip 
Yeah, because they took out a big piece of bone on my temple-ish. Cause it was bone com- and muscle. Because it was shattered. I say I'm 1% German now because my titanium <laughs> came from Germany. So <laughs> okay. I want to say I'm 1% German now. So that's a cool thing about it. Shout out to Dr. Sanovich. Yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. He's a super awesome guy. Is there a person out there that you feel like helped you through this the most? My wife. Absolutely. Sam, Samantha. Majority. Definitely. Sam. And just everybody. I mean, even Angela helped me out a lot. Everybody with all their love and their support, even the department. I'll thank everybody here that was with me to get this asshole of a suspect sure. and to bring no justice and just for being there for me. I just everybody really it's taken a while but with time things heal i've learned that because coming back to work i was so like i want to go back to patrol like you can't tell me no like i was very like when can i go back when can i go back they're like no hold on like you can't you have to stay in the office you have to sit at the desk and i'm like i don't want to like i'm still young i've had three years on i still want to go out there but um are you permanent light duty now yeah. For the rest of your career, you'll be at a desk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm blind, completely blind on my left eye. Uh, my hearing's not that great because um, the second bullet, like Sam said, it grazed. When I moved to when I moved to the right, the bullet legit grazed me. So I moved just in time because if not, it could have been 20 times worse. So that's the one that grazed me. But, um, yeah, my balance isn't that great because I have vertigo issues now since I'm blind. Uh, dizziness, just pretty much, I'm getting used to it. I'm adapting to it. So you were the adaptive training athlete. Is that correct? You were picked? Yeah. S- tell us about that because our listeners probably don't even know what that is. Uh, adaptive Training Foundation, it's super cool. Uh David Vibora, he started it. I don't know when he started it, but he started it a while back. His first athlete was a quadriplegic. Quadriplegic. Yeah, that. Okay. And so, like, he, from the story that I know, uh, David was having a rough day. So he went to the bar, and uh, his first athlete came in. He's like, like, what's your, like, the quadriplegic asked him, like, what's your deal? And David was like, wait, you don't have anything. Why am I complaining? And he's like, you want to go work out? You want to get back into like, into shape? And he was like, yeah, sure. So they basically help out um, military, law enforcement, pretty much anybody that has any issues, life, um, I don't know, like, like any injuries or mm -hmm, not, not, and not only injuries, maybe, um, if someone was born with some kind of condition as well, um, just a little background on ATF, um, David Vibora, the founder of it, he's an ex NFL player. Yeah. So I believe he had gotten hurt and had gone to therapy during his NFL career. And that's when he met that quadriplegic. And that's kind of how he started is he was inspired by, um, that man and from there, he's grown. He's grown ATF and um, has taken in a lot of people that are, like we said, either have been hurt or were born with some kind of condition, and trains them not only physically but also mentally as well. Especially the mentally part. That's because regular like counseling, like it's cool. Don't get me wrong. I love the counseling. It's cool. But sometimes I don't want to talk to people. 
Okay. So I'd rather just go and work out and get like counseling in that sense in a way. And then the mental part, that one's the biggest part I had to conquer just because I always had like PTSD. I had flashbacks like all the time. Fireworks used to get me super scared when I first got out. Just being around people, I just, I couldn't do it. I was just so traumatized just because I don't know when people are going to pull out a gun somewhere. And so going to adaptive training, like Mo helped me out really with like meditation and just, uh, just breathing. Breathing is a big thing that we got to learn how to do. And, and if we have like, um, stress or anything, counseling is good. Don't get me wrong. You should, if you want to talk to a counselor, go for it. But if you just don't want to talk to people, like kind of how I am, then just go to the gym. You relieve all your stress. You can go all out and be exhausted. And the next day you're going to regret it, but it'll be great because you worked out at the end of it. But yeah, I love Adaptive Training Foundation. I think this last class they had, I was a, a mentor for their class and it was it was a lot of fun. Can you give us an example of one of your days, like when you walk into the, the ATF? Is that, did I say it right? Yeah. Okay, when you walk in there, what was your day like? Well, first of all, everyone says hi to you. Like, you're not like, a, not everyone ignores you. Everyone's like, hey, what's up? Like, you pretty much feel welcome. Like, you're home. Like, everyone around there is a part of your family. And they're always going to be there for you, physically and mentally. If you need, like, a hug, they will give you a hug. I mean, it's just, like, the simplest things. But when you work out, they will push you to the max. And they will celebrate, like, if you get, like to like the point that you want to be at they have like a bell for like a victory kind of thing sure and you ring it whenever you hit like your personal best on that exercise and it's pretty cool everyone just starts clapping it's just very just very warm and like a family I love it that's really cool Mm -hmm. Crystal tell me what you're most proud of what you achieved while you were in your recovery process well I don't know it's a good question like physically, like a run or a lift, or is there any, is there something that you're very proud of? Uh, I'm still working on my balance skills. That's for sure. Still trying to work on running on a treadmill because I veer to the left okay. <laughs> since I'm blind. I hate. I don't like running on treadmills, anyways. But um, just like just getting back in the gym, honestly, because. When I went into the hospital, I was like 175, and then when I finally got out, I was down to 150, okay. and that's like a whole ton of muscle, like gone. that you worked hard for. Yeah, I worked super hard for it, and it just went down, and I was like, goodness, I'm like a noodle. I'm like, what's wrong with me? So, yeah, just being back in the gym is honestly a great achievement. I still go now usually adaptive boxing I'm still trying to get back into that so that's that's cool oh yeah yeah so tell me about uh do you remember Nate Nate yes can you is that one of the first people you met at the ATF yeah Nate he's uh he used to be a police officer I forgot where I think it's Kansas City yes but he's Nate has a heck of a story let me tell you he's a really awesome guy he's completely blind and he has one leg missing yeah he has one leg missing but he's like the sweetest guy he'll ever meet he's so cool and he will actually keep up with all the workouts that we do he might take a little bit of time but he will 
he will be with you like to do all the workouts that you want and I remember I met him the first time and it was just like finally another police officer not all military because sure. it was like it's pretty much all filled with military for the most part but uh Nate was also in the military but I was like yay police officer I can relate to somebody now so but he's <laughs> he's super duper nice he's like the sweetest guy ever so they're group workouts then yeah but you each everyone has like their own trainer so you read you register to go into a class for the academy or the yeah academy class and you get your own personal trainer and the first day you kind of set goals for yourself um whether weight wise uh strength tests all that stuff you get to do all that really cool stuff and mentally too they really like i said i didn't know this but the mental part of it's like super huge and uh they just work with you until it's all nine weeks and then at the end of the nine weeks you take like a cool trip at the end to uh just pretty much anywhere they usually have like a what is it called like a place where they adapt like it's used to having people with um disabilities to go to so it's pretty cool yeah this last time we went to lake tahoe to go ski i rode on the ski bike it was awesome oh that's really cool yeah it was super cool for our listeners out there i think it's really hard for them to understand what you went through in your recovery Mm -hmm. is can you give them and everyone listening a detailed description of your recovery journey yeah so after the incident i was in the hospital for three weeks at presby and then after that, uh, I went to the inpatient therapy. Is that what it's called when you're in the hospital? Sure. Um, and they wanted to keep me for three months. But I told them, hell no. Wow. Like, what's the shortest amount of time I can do? And they're like, well, it just depends on how quick you recover and how fast you work. So I was like, okay. So a week late, like, they give me a week. They're like, the lowest we can do is a week. I'm like, all right, I got it. So there I am working my butt off every single day. And legit, I get off a week later. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so what does that day look like? A day? Yeah, so you you have seven days, correct? Yeah. What does that each day look like? Is it eight hours? Is it two hours? Oh, no, it was like a complete eight hours. So first one, it would be physical therapy. And then the next one, it'd be like speech therapy because I couldn't remember words to say. Okay. Um, And then after that, it would be... Um, like arts and crafts time or like just a workout kind of thing. I played guitar here a lot. It was awesome. They were very impressed. I play on medium. <laughs> did those things help? Like, did they bring some things back? Uh, for Guitar Hero, yeah, because you have to follow the colors sure. on the guitar. And surprisingly, everyone was super duper impressed that I can do it with all the stuff that happened to me. But afterwards, I was like, anyone else want a, a request, song request, anybody? I'll play a concert here for you guys. And some people actually did. It was pretty funny. But uh, after that, it'd be lunchtime and then go back for another speech therapy and then like uh, counseling a little bit. And yeah, I was just exhausted at the end of the day. But, what, what kind of speech therapy? Like what, what did they have you do? Uh, it was a bunch of memory stuff. So like they would read a sentence to me and they'd be like, OK, like what did I just tell you? OK. And I'd have to repeat every single word or like a story. They would read like a whole little paragraph and they would tell me like can you tell me what the paragraph was about and so I'd have to like really remember like what they talked about was that hard for you at that time mm-hmm. 
yeah super hard definitely do you feel like was there times where you were frustrated yeah because I, I couldn't get my words right like I meant to say a word but I couldn't figure out the right word to say um I'm trying to explain see like a word like I would say a sentence but I would mean one specific word but I would mean the opposite okay I would say the opposite so it was just kind of weird sometimes it still happens every once in a blue moon but I've gotten better is it still improving oh yeah for sure they uh before my senior corporal test they had to do like a whole reevaluation, and they said like it improved like big time so I was pretty proud of it because I think I took that test during after like the couple weeks that it happened so I was pretty low but once I took it again they said it improved quite a bit so I'm pretty proud of myself yeah what kind of physical things did they have you do uh pretty much anything walking lifting weights a little bit um one lady at one of the nurses at the therapy place uh, she saw my shirt I went to Thailand before everything happened and I really liked jujitsu okay so she saw my shirt and she's like do you like jujitsu and I was like oh yeah like I love it and she's like okay like I run a gym down in downtown Dallas like I'll see if I can bring any equipment so maybe you can try it and sure enough the next day she brought some mats and we kind of slowly took wow like, like punches some kicks my main nurse she kind of got mad she's like not too hard not too hard <laughs> like take it easy and I'm like oh but come on like it's so much fun I just want to go all out she's like take it easy Crystal I'm like okay fine I'll take it easy but yeah it was just a lot of fun out of all of the the steps that you had to take and even the adaptive training what do you feel like helped you the most get back to feeling somewhat like yourself again uh I probably had to say adaptive training for sure. They helped out a hundred percent. Before I wouldn't really talk this much, or I'd be like kind of shy to talk sure. to you guys. So this is like a big step for me. But uh, adaptive helped me both physically and mentally. Shoot, I think in after or during my class for adaptive in 2019, I did a Spartan race, and I competed in the para championship for the Spartans with my team which was super cool. So we were like dead last in that race, but we came up to, I think, fifth or fourth place. So it was flipping awesome. That is really cool. How how many people do you remember that was on your team? So one person has to be in a three-wheel wheelchair, and I have to drag that sucker all over the dunes, and it has like its own paddle, or like, I don't know how to say it, like like it helps it move it. I forgot what the name of it is. Okay. But it's pretty cool. And then I have two other ones, so like four of us. But we legit, I legit pushed that wheelchair all the way through the desert. But it was so much fun. Do you feel you feel like you're back to your old self? A little bit, not completely, fully there yet. But I'm working on it. In any way, do you feel like you're stronger? A little bit, yeah. Before. I mean, I can talk to people. I mean, I was just sure. used to the police personality. Like, you just talk to anyone and everyone. But now, since this has happened, it's kind of like I've sheltered myself. But I can see myself breaking through that shell and starting to talk to a lot of people. That's that's amazing. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> um, Rogelio, he had an impactful smile. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it in the photos. And you've seen it firsthand and you remember it. So... How does seeing that smile or remembering it truly affect you? His smile 
was everything. I mean, it still is everything. Um, whenever I see it, it just brings back really good. Like, I remember him as how he was. He was an awesome guy. Would you say it brings you some sort of joy? Oh, yeah, for sure. I just It just reminds me of how he was. Sometimes you see it whenever you see that smile, you just know like he's in a really good mood and like he's just totally up for it. But he was just such an awesome friend and he was an amazing guy. He still is. He always follows us no matter where. I know he's always there. Even when I smile, I kind of see a little bit. He kind of rubbed off on me. (laughs) So whenever I smile, I kind of see his because I know he'd be smiling at me no matter what. Has your marriage bonded? I, th- I think we're the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, they got married after this yeah, incident. After and I think the coming of the wedding was um, very much anticipated. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we had been together for a while. We had known each other since Crystal was in the academy. So it, it was it was a while coming. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think this um, that her incident really kind of, I guess, bonded us. Um, just because we went through all that together. I had to help her relearn a lot of things and it just it just brought us closer together would you say it's a partnership it really is mm-hmm. she's a smart one i'm, <laughs> I'm the muscle she's the brains <laughs> <laughs> what about you angela do you feel like this was a partnership with crystal oh yeah and i i would have gone back and mentioned this a little bit earlier um but maybe it can get cut in <laughs> um earlier than danny right is amazing now. danny um <laughs> Just one piece that I would like to add about the day Crystal getting out of the hospital. How long were you in the hospital for? The main one? Like, yeah. You were the first time that you were in the hospital, you were there like three weeks, right? Three weeks. Okay. The day she gets out of the hospital and I'm learning she's getting out, I'm like, okay, Crystal, when you're ready, calm down. I'm going to have to interview you about what happened just to see what she would remember. If you don't remember anything, doesn't matter. But at some point me being the detective on the case, I needed to get whatever she did remember. Sure. If it was leading up to or, or after. Um, I just needed to talk to her before she had any outside influences, um, kind of creating a memory for her. So it was important to me and to her to get her story down very quickly. The day she gets out of the hospital, she goes nowhere but right to me at police headquarters, and we interviewed. I interviewed her. Um, and, like, just to another proof of how amazing she is, she remembers so much about what happened that night, that day. She remembered so much. I was astonished because she had been shot in the head twice. You know, like that's incredible. And number one, that she survived. And then number two, that she's as amazing as she is, just has done so well with her comeback. And um, she's just very resilient. And my interview with her was amazing. I, I was completely surprised at how much she remembered. Um, and after that, then everyone could tell her whatever they wanted to, and it wouldn't, you know, dirty up the, you know, basically the facts of the case is what I really wanted from what she remembered, not what anyone told her. Um, I think her mom did her well by teaching her to get up, keep going, um, you know, don't give up. Um, she didn't. I think that for your listeners here, that that's the true testament of, of someone going through this and the resiliency and, and just um, 
not giving up and surviving, that survivor's mindset. Absolutely. A true warrior. Yep. Not really, but I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's, <You> also, <laughs> she's also the kindest, most modest, like doesn't want the attention, doesn't uh-huh. want to be hailed a hero. I mean, sure. we all know that she's a hero, but she does not want to be labeled that, you know, she doesn't think that she's that. She's so modest and sweet and kind and just an overall amazing person. Crystal, what do you want to relay to our listeners? There's a lot. Um, Just don't give up. Like, life can throw so many things at you. Just don't give up. Like, shoot, I got shot twice in the face. But, like I said about Santander, his God wanted him back home. And he told me, no, 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 you're not done with your assignment yet. You still got to do your assignment, kiddo. Not yet. So, just don't give up. You guys got this. Has, if, has faith, like, been a strong point for you here and in your recovery? I mean, it's always been. When my mom passed away, that was, it was pretty big then. But now, especially, I always think that we all have a reason. We don't know what our reason is, but we just have to keep going with life and don't give up. We'll learn eventually. Maybe not so easy, but we'll learn. And we can help other people out whenever they need it. Sam, there's a lot of first responders, spouses listening to this. What would you relay to our listeners? Um, What I would probably relay is, I mean, you know that there's going to be these difficult points in everyone's lives. Um, but you have to be there as a support and a support in any way that you can be. If it's just listening, um, if it's actually helping with someone relearning everything that they have to do, but just, just support, um, just do anything that you can to kind of be by their side and give them, um, give your spouse or, or whoever it is, um, your, your support. Angela, you had to watch the body camera. You had to watch the videos. I mean, what would you relate to detectives that have to respond to scenes like this and have to interview suspects like that? I mean, I will say that I shout out to the first responding guys who were there who saw it in person. Like, I can't imagine how hard that was for them. Same on first seven seven, having to scoop up their fellow officers and throw them in squad cars and drive them to hospitals. Um, I can't imagine being in that position, even though I was in patrol for a long time, you know, but um, I just, there's nothing that can really prepare you for um, seeing those kind of things, especially when it's your own brothers. It's real. It's not a movie. It's um, people that you know and people that you love or loved. Um, It's just, you have to do have your mind right and be able to focus on the mission, which is getting the bad guy um, convicted if there is one, like there was in Crystal and Rogelio's case on 7-7. He was um, eliminated, so that wasn't an issue. But you still have to um, compile the case and make sure that everything is in order. Um, We did watch the body cam, obviously, of Rogelio um, several times it's on video when crystal and rogelio both got shot and scott painter as well 
Um, it's traumatic. It's, um, it's gory. It's very bloody. It's, um, traumatic. I mean, I'm just going to say ultra traumatic. Like I'll, I can visualize him and Crystal being shot in my head anytime I want. And same goes with seven, seven guys. Now it's just like, you know, I can see all the body cams of everyone getting shot now in a row. I can watch them in my head anytime I want. And it sucks, but it's also, again, like I said, truly was my honor to be involved in those cases and to make sure that um, the suspect, especially in Rogelio and Crystal, was convicted and um, sentenced for the rest of his life. He'll never be able to get out and hurt anybody again. I mean, I don't know what you can do to prepare for that kind of thing. Um, I don't think there's really anything, but I do think it's important to take care of yourself following. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that I did a good job of that. Um, Personally, my squad was very good about talking about um, 7-7 and Crystal. We, you know, we would talk amongst each other about how crappy it was and, you know, hey, are you doing okay? Are you doing okay? Um, Counseling was encourage and of course I'm I'm with ATO I know um, that a lot of officers use the services and I think that it's absolutely amazing um, but you just have to take care of yourself after again the workouts the you know trying to stay you know with your family and committed and busy and um, I it's just a part of the job. I, I don't know what else to say, but watching the body cam is just a part of, of the job. And that's what you signed up for and you do it. And um, you just have to learn to live with it afterwards. Now, both of y'all are in new positions now. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, Crystal, tell us about what you do now. I work with gang unit. Uh, I'm the intelligence officer. So pretty much entering gang cards, sometimes on social media, if there's like a suspect, they're trying to ID I help with that, which I think is pretty cool. But uh, mostly just gang cards, just stay at office stuff. Luckily, on search warrants, I can go. Cool. Oh, so they, they, you actually get to get out of the office now? Every once in a blue Good moon. for you. Yeah. Has it been a big adjustment? Yeah. I have to wear glasses all the time because I don't want to go this way and be like, boop, like hit myself on sure. something. So I have to get used to that. But luckily, I'm with uh, Mr. Jerry Poston, mm-hmm. and I got shot too, so I call us the two-eyed gang, <laughs> since he's also blind on his left eye also, so we always go together, so it's pretty cool. Has the gang unit been supportive? Oh, yeah, definitely. Have they embraced you? Yes, and yes, they have. <laughs> they're really awesome guys. They're very old school. Well, Inman, Oscar, they're all really awesome old school gang guys, which is pretty cool. Thank I you like for staying with Dallas. Yeah. Of course, I wouldn't leave. You guys have been freaking awesome. (laughs) Angela, you're in a new position. I am. I am now an explosive detection canine handler, which I never thought I would be. I thought I would stay in homicide until I retired. Um, But things happen and tragedies happen and they lead you in a different direction. And I needed to get out of homicide. And so I found the most perfect, amazing um, job on the department for me. And I... I have a dog who is um, your partner, ultimate bomb finder, (laughs) definitely my partner, half emotional support pet. He is cool. Um, He is awesome. What's his name? Apollo is his name. But I'm going to say one side cool thing about Crystal. Absolutely. She, in order to 
go to Austin and get your Star of Texas award. Is that what it's called? I think mm-hmm. so. Yes. Yeah. Okay. In order to go to Austin and get her Star of Texas award, yes. she had to carry a gun again, put on a full uniform again. And she was required to qualify with that gun, if I'm not mistaken, before she was allowed to go and carry a gun, which yeah. means she did all that with one eye. That's incredible. Yep. And, and what did you bring in today in um, that, the trophy case? The oh. shadow box. Yeah, I brought uh, my uniform that I had on that day with like my sunglasses and my little headband that I wore. Pretty much, luckily, I got all my stuff back from the property room so I decided to put it like in a little shadow box just to have people see a little bit of the story it brings some very realism to your incident Mm -hmm. Angela describe that uniform that's in that shadow box well Crystal and I met at the property room so that I could release everything back to her Um, and it was hard to go through it when we started opening things slowly You know, she would kind of take a deep breath and we would, you know, open each bag individually. And um, when we pulled her shirt out and I warned her ahead of time, like, we haven't done anything to it. It's going to be bloody. It's going to be cut to shit because that's what the medics do. Sure. And um, sure enough, we pulled out her shirt, her pants, everything that she was, her undershirt, her headband that she's wearing that's in the shadow box. Sunglasses were all broken. Um, her headband and her sunglasses were on top of her head. I have a photo and video of that from the case file. But her shirt was all cut from them just quickly taking it off of her and her pants as well. And, you know, she handled it like a champ. I mean, like she's handled this entire incident. She handled it with grace and poise and just all around badassery. I don't know what else to say about it. some people would crumble when they see these things, but she was interested, um, wanted to see it, wanted to not relive it or, or tear off the Band-Aid or anything like that, but just get in that moment, feel what she needed to feel, and then move on. And now I think it represents a lot of her resiliency, survival that she deserves. You know, It represents a lot for her. It's a, a pillar of strength. Thank you for having the courage to come on our podcast and share with our listeners because there's someone out there that your story is really going to resonate with. I hope so. And inspire them to drive, to, to heal, to recover, and to thrive. And that seems like both of you are thriving and healing. You really are inspiration. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to close with In Memory of Rogelio Santana Jr., Batch number 10934. End of watch, April 25th, 2018. Thank you, sir. Hey, brother, hey, sister, I'll never give up on you. Hey, Mrs., hey, mister, I'll see this all the way through. sun and the moon I'll never give up on you Down when you're lonely I'll pull you up Life leaves you heavy 
I'll never give up on you. 